Welcome back to Mom Nation Unscripted. Now a word from our sponsor. Moms are always on the move and the city of Mesa understands getting where you need to go quickly and safely isn't just a priority, it's an expectation. That's why we are proactive with our transportation plans. Check out the 2020 Transportation Bond Program at mesaaz.gov slash mesamoves to learn about Mesa's plans to grow our roadways and bike paths, improve congestion, and make commuting safer for everyone. Well, hey, Mom Nation, we are back with an episode of Mom Nation Unscripted. We are at season, well, episode 10, season four. So we are getting super close, ladies, to the end of season four. Can't believe it. Say it every time. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you? Awesome, actually. Um, Last week has been, it was like, extra super crazy busy. I don't even remember half of half the days and what I did, um, but I'm sure it was great. And it rained here several times, Jenny, what, like in the last 10 days, seven days, 10 days. And we haven't had rain since, I mean, we had such a crappy monsoon. We're in the Phoenix, Arizona area, by the way. Um, we had such a crappy monsoon season this year that I was kind of dying for rain. How about you, Washington girl? <laughs> Yeah, I, it was a nice change. It's been a long time and I enjoy our rainy days just, you know, to change it up because we have sun all the time, which, you know, not, not that there's anything wrong with sun, right? <laughs> but it's kind of nice to have a change of scenery every now and then. So I welcomed the rain. It was nice, but and it's kind of nice to have a sunny day again today because it's been yeah. almost, I feel like a good solid 10 days of gray skies. So yeah, and chilly, and I mean, it's nice just to, I think I'm going to go outside in a short sleeve shirt today. Yeah. Wow. That's exciting. <laughs> Imagine that. How about you, Cher? What's weather been like for you? Um, It's so weird. It's hot during the day and then super cold at night. Like I made the mistake of sleeping with the window open, Um, woke up in the middle of the night freezing. So I had to close that real quick. <laughs> But, but it's been nice enough where actually the kids and I went on a, a trip to snow to find snow. So that was really exciting. Um, last weekend, I sent you some pictures because I knew like you would like it. And then Matt too, I'm sure he loves it up there, but the kids got to make little tiny snowmen and play around. And, you know, that's always fun. Where did you go? It wasn't Tahoe, was it? No, Big Bear. Where is that? Big Bear? It's north I don't know it's it's still SoCal north but um yeah I don't know it's about two hours north so yeah it's just like in the desert but like the mountain area so because of the elevation it gets snow it's like a day trip right like it's like going to Jerome for the day I don't know yeah or like so. for us Jenny like going to Payson Flag. or something like that. right Flag. yeah, yeah, yeah I guess. that's what I was thinking yeah yeah yeah, we have snow close by too. I've been meaning to go, but it just seems like we've been so busy. So we need to go take a trip. I think it's even as close as like Globe right now. So we need to go wow. find some. Well, with all the rain, we definitely got dumped on. Um, we were at the boat over the weekend and Four Peaks is full of snow, which is gorgeous, right? So we're in this beautiful lake in the middle of canyons. It's sunny, gorgeous out. And then we see these white capped mountains in the distance. It's just so pretty there. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So but uh, yeah, flag got dumped on. Especially when you're surrounded by desert. Yeah. Yeah. Did it? That's yeah. Cool. Matt went. Have you guys gone skiing this... or snowboarding? Well, I don't, but the boys do. Um, I think he went, no, it wasn't this weekend. He went last weekend and it took him like four, four or five hours to get to flag and then four or five hours to get back because the road, you know, they get closed in certain areas. You had to go through Sedona, blah, blah, blah. Um, but he had a bunch of fun. I guess it was some pretty nice virgin white powder, like he likes to call it. Katie, <laughs> I don't you would have died. So California is super crazy about snow, like even in areas that typically get snow. So you being from the East Coast and like being familiar with snow and me being from Chicago, there's nothing. There's nothing on the floor. There's nothing. They've already plowed it. It's good. They make you have chains on. What? Oh my gosh. Stop being such babies. 
<laughs> did you experience that too, Amy? I did. I took my kids to Big Bear last year. I, and I'm from Chicago originally. So oh, I took yeah. my kids to Big Bear and we were, I was like, I have a snow van. Like my, I have snow tires. I don't care about chains. Wrong answer. We spent three right. hours on the mountain, crashed into the snow, and all the neighborhood locals came out and had to help us. And my 14-year-old son was freaking out. He's like, Mom, you need to learn to drive. You're a girl. You should have let me drive. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> it was the best and worst trip, but getting stuck in snow with five kids, all three of teenagers and two littles, not fun at all. <laughs> yeah, no. no kidding. No kidding. I love I love that we can get together and share our stories, right? Because you telling me that and you telling me what was going on with you guys, like makes me feel like I'm not alone in this whole motherhood gig. And, you know, and like you guys go through the same things. We probably deal with many of the same things. So I love that. Um, and I think that same thing is true for, you know, just women as in general, sharing their stories with each other, like so much inspiration can be gained so much truth, so much support, um, camaraderie, like, like it just runs the gamut. So, um, thank you ladies for always sharing your stories and for always being super upfront here on mom nation unscripted. And today is very much a day like that because we have Amy Taylor here with us for the very first time. Welcome, Amy. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. It's, yeah, it's yeah. For sure. I'm really, really excited. And I know Jenny and Sherry are too, just to kind of, you know, I, I know a little tiny bit about your story and I hope to learn a lot more. Or I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot more today. Um, and you went through some struggles, sister. Struggles have been, um, I feel like a gift to me my whole entire life. And I know that sounds silly to say that um, to some people, but I feel like if you don't have those struggles or any struggles at all, then you're not going to understand. Like at, when you're at the bottom of a mountain and you can see the snow up at the top and you're so excited, you want to get to it, but you got to drive it. And I feel like that's what your struggles are. You want to get to the top, but you got to go through some stuff first to get there. I mean, not that you ever arrive because the snow at the top is really cold, but <laughs> You definitely have to drive to get there. And I feel like that's been my whole life, just this driving force to, um, to get to where I need to be as a mom, as a human, as a woman. And um, I, I'm not sad about it. I love hearing that. And there's this old story. I don't, I don't even know where I first heard it. And it, it was just like, okay, when a, when a chick is hatching out of the egg, Okay. It's struggling, right? Like you see its beak pop up and maybe a foot or whatever, and it's struggling to get out of the egg. And you're not supposed to help that chick get out of the egg because if you help it, it doesn't go through that amount of struggle that it needs to go through to gain the strength that it needs to live that next chapter of life. Right. And I kind of feel like with us, it's the same sort of thing. I Do you relate that. with that with your, I mean, right. I kind of use that really when raising my kids, you know, it's so easy and so hard to not jump in and help them when they're struggling. But I, I feel with every, um, every opportunity for them to learn and grow and strengthen and learn to problem solve, um, you know, it's real life and we have to let them struggle so that they can grow stronger and learn how to get through those moments. So, mm -hmm. And I love that we can talk about that because I, you know, again, like what we said in the beginning, we can share these stories and, and I can feel not so alone because quite honestly, when my kid is struggling, I don't like to see it here. Let me help you. Let me do that for you. And, and really it's not helping him out one bit, right? He was having a little sort of a, not nothing crazy, like nothing physical or anything, but he was having a little bit of a struggle with a, a little boy the other day, a friend had come over to play and I'm like, Normally I would get involved, but I just kind of let them work it out. And they didn't, you know, they worked it out pretty well. Like I was pretty proud of these two kids to have worked it out amongst themselves. And then all of a sudden they ran off together as friends again. And uh, I had to stop myself though. I can specifically remember that. I think that's a struggle of a mother, right? Like we want to be there. We want to kiss every boo-boo. We want to, you know, make everything better, but 
we also struggle with that knowing, hey, they need to learn this for themselves too. So I think that's just a, our mental struggle or, you know. Yeah, we don't want, I don't know, here's how I feel and I'm not gonna get too far off track, Amy, sorry, but I'm running down the rabbit hole. Um, I just, I don't want those, those times to go away, those kissing boo-boo times either. So am I prolonging that by hopping in and helping the kid out of the egg? I don't know. It's probably all my problem. It's all, it's all our fault, right? You better find him a good wife. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> That's what I think of. I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe this isn't good because Ariana's going to have to find somebody that does everything for her. So then I'm like, mm, you can go ahead and do that yourself. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. But anyway, I totally agree with you, Amy. I feel like struggle is what makes us strong, is what, you know, helps us to grow, to learn, to get to that next level and to be able to do so for other people. Right. And it's within that struggle that we learn how to be supportive to others. So let's take it back to the very beginning, Amy. Tell us about you. Tell us, tell us about everything. Yay. <laughs> Are you ready for a novel? <laughs> All right. Um, no, my, um, as you guys know, my name is Amy, obviously, and Taylor's my maiden name. So a while back I was married and it wasn't Taylor. And I felt like that was going to be the, the be all, the end all, you know, just once I get married, I can accomplish the world. I can do this. I can, you know, I was raised under the, um, the assumption that being a wife and a mother is the highest calling in the world. And if you fail at that, you failed at life. To not just that I thought that, I was told that. And yes, I've lived in Chicago. I lived in Chicago about 26 years, the Chicago land, Northwest Indiana area, but I grew up in Alabama. And it's a very farm life, a very you have five generations with no divorce and this is, you just make it work. It doesn't matter who cheats on who, you just still stay with it and you just make it work. You just close your eyes and keep moving. And it's just not, it's not productive. You know, it's, it's, it's great, but I saw so many of my aunts who just died unhappy because they just assumed one day their whole lives would change, their marriage would change, their kids would love them. They would not go through the things they were going through. They cried and prayed their guts out and yet they still died unhappy and unloved and or maybe not unloved, but feeling unloved. And I, and I just determined, I said, I'm not gonna do that. And lo and behold, I get married to someone who is the exact opposite of love. And I struggled through it and I thought, okay, well, just you make it work. It may or may not have been, you know, the will of God or however you want to say it. But once you say I do, it becomes that will and you just make it work. It's just like a good old Southern girl that you are. And 12 years into it, um, he walked away with a text message. So it was uh, devastating to say the least when you think your whole world is on this path and this journey and you have five kids and you just keep having children because you see that's when he's the happiest. And not that you don't love your children, you love your children and I, and I love being a mom. But when they got to a certain point, we had another one because that's when he was happy. And my whole life had been raised to make him happy. And in that I lost who I was and I lost what happiness truly was to me, to my kids, to everyone around me. And it took him leaving where I realized, wow, who's Amy? Who, who am I? What do, you know, what do I want out of life? I've never thought about, do I actually get to be happy? That's not, you know, I, I'd never um, anticipated being divorced. And here's the kicker, not once, but twice. The, uh, when I finally did start dating again, I married, a, I thought I was marrying a man who we dated for a couple years and I was super excited about it and come to find out he was married in two other countries. And so that was annulled. Um, I know I found out only because I, uh, couldn't travel out of the country and that's how I found out. So to just be devastated and I approached him and I said, Hey, this is what they're telling me. And he's like, by the way. And then he took off and I never saw him again. So to be devastated and left twice 
was just, uh, I thought the world was never going to end. I, I wish that it would. Every day I would just say, okay, God, please, I love you. I, I'm too brave to commit suicide. You know, that was my mindset. Not that that's okay, but that was my mindset. God, I'm too brave to commit suicide, so just don't let me wake up because then I can justify it. You know, then it'll be your fault. I was always looking for it to be someone's fault. And when I came down to it, I wasn't happy because I wasn't making the choices that I needed to make to be happy. You know, my kids were crying. My kids were, you know, they were they were spoiled. We We were definitely spoiling them because we didn't know what else to do we wanted them to be happy and I, and, I, and I don't fault him for it um their dad because at the end of the day I found out he was in the middle of having a nervous breakdown and so you know here it is five years later and we are I don't want to say best friends but we're really good friends and his future wife she has property here in Arizona she has some in um and Temecula. So we drive back and forth all the time. We eat breakfast together. We eat lunch together. She's a wonderful businesswoman. I'm a businesswoman. So we're very social to each other. Um, she came in by herself to pick up the kids for their turn at Christmas. My mom's like, come on in and eat with us. And she's like, okay, can I use the bathroom? And so it's just, it's just family now. And I never thought it would get to that point. I just, I really didn't. I didn't think that, um, I didn't think forgiveness was possible. I didn't think that happiness was possible, but it was. And it just started with me opening my eyes and stop, you know, it's like, I felt like I was sleepwalking through life and motherhood, all in the name of, I'm doing, I need to do the right thing. I need to be protocol. It was all about protocol instead of, um, you know, allowing everyone to be happy, including me. So can I take you back to, to the beginning? So, so you met the, the father of your children. You didn't have any children with the second one, the second husband, no. right? Okay. So no, all five. No, were, okay. So all five were with the first husband. And so that relationship yes. you said was kind of like the opposite of love. Do you mind sharing a little bit of, about what you mean about that? Like, how was that experience? Sure, absolutely. We, um, we met at his mom and dad's church and I worked for him. I was the head of his customer service department. He owned a business. We, we worked really well together. And even during our divorce, we still worked another job. We neither one of us owned it, but we worked another job. And the manager called us in one day and she said, for two people going through the type of divorce you're going through, you're the most professional people I've ever met in my life. And I looked at him and I said, if we can run our family like we run our business, we would be a, an amazing power couple. And we both just kind of laughed and said, nah. And it was like, and that was kind of the end of it. But we met each other that way. We spent a lot of time together. We're spending 13 hours a day together, five days a week. And, and I tell my girls this now, whether the guy is the right or the wrong guy for you, the guy you spend the most time with, you're going to find something to like about him, whether he's right or wrong. You're going to find, you're going to say, oh, that's a red flag. No, that's, that's cute now. That's not a red flag. That's just, that's adorable. Maybe that's just me. Let me just, let me ignore that and move past that. That's just me. And then the more you spend time, the more you drop those walls and you become familiar with the things that aren't good for you. It's kind of like, I have an older daughter who's about to be 17. And I said, look, I don't want you to try drugs. I don't want you to do drink. I don't want you to do any of that. And she's like, well, what's, what's your main reasoning? Because my friends do this, my friends do that. And I said, because you think that it's okay. You go with them. Okay. Well, I'm not going to drink. I'm just going to go with them. All right. That's one block out of the wall. Well, well, they just, they're just going to smoke around me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to breathe when I'm with them. I'm just going to keep my, hold my breath. You're removing another block. And eventually those walls that you've built to keep yourself safe, you've tore those walls down. And that's what I did with him. And eventually um, we ended up pregnant and his family is very traditional Hispanic family. And I lived with his mom and dad. So it made it even worse. So my options were either you marry our son 
or we'll help you find homeless shelters for pregnant women. And I was terrified. I mean, like I said, I grew up in Alabama and moved to Chicago. Um, and I thought, well, I'm 850 miles away from everything I know. I need to get married. I don't have a choice. And we went and visited his mom and dad's church one day. And they said, you have a meeting in the pastor's office. This was November. We were doing February. I said, I looked at him. I said, what else can we be in trouble for? We're already pregnant. Like, What else can they hate us for? I mean, we're having the first girl out of 14 grandchildren. They've got to be happy for something, like at least. And we walk into the pastor's office with the mom and dad. And his dad elbows me and he said, you're getting married. And he looked at me and he said, I'm Hispanic, but two people you don't say no to are your pastors and your parents. And I said, I'm pretty much homeless if I say no. So what do you want to do? And he said, I don't know, let's just do this and get it over with. And the pastor prayed a little generic prayer over us, signed the paperwork that we don't even know to this day where it came from. And we were married and we ended up five kids, 12 years, and eventually had an, a full-blown nervous breakdown for some other issues. And he walked away with a text message. He just said he couldn't do it anymore. And it was probably the worst and the best day of my life. That is crazy. So it sounds like you guys were pushed into something maybe you weren't ready for. Um, and you know, you don't even know if you're compatible at this point, but you just kind of had no choice but to move forward with it. Um, so 12 years and you have five kids. At what point did you get to where you were able to be friendly with him again and start working on forgiving him and realizing that this is something you needed to do in order to, you know, move on with your life? That took a little bit longer. Um, I guess there's another part of the story that I don't usually tell a whole lot of people, but, um, uh, well, I don't want to say a whole lot, but when he left, um, his grandfather had passed away and we owned a business. And so we sold everything and we moved to another state and nine months into living in that state is when he left. So not only did he leave, he left us completely and totally bankrupt. And my kids and I ended up homeless for about almost a full year living in our van, we were car camping. So they will, you know, they don't really look at it as we were homeless. They, they enjoyed it. They had a DVD player, they had food. They were, you know, I feel like as a mom, I may not have a penny to my name, but if I can feed my kids, I'm the best mom in the world. <laughs> so, and that's what I lived on. My kids were straight A's. My son started first grade at four years old. So they were very well-rounded as far as that goes, but I hated them at that moment. I'm not going to lie. I didn't forgive them. I didn't want to forgive them. I was I was really hoping he didn't ever come back, that he was just off in a gutter somewhere. And eventually I started looking at their lives and going, what legacy am I leaving them if I'm constantly bitter, if I'm constantly broken with or without him? Because I was the same, I was the same way I was with them. I just wasn't being the mom that I needed to be because I didn't know how to filter through emotions. And then when I wasn't with him that first year, my oldest daughter was only 10. And she said, mom, do we hate dad? And I thought, wow, do we? And I said, you know what, baby? I don't have an answer for you. She said, okay, and that was it. But I started having to really reflect and say, you know, they're looking to me for answers, not just for safety, not just for food and shelter, but for answers and emotional stability, what am I going to give them? And so I said, you know what? Grownups have tantrums, just like kids. The only difference is there's nobody to put us in timeout. So they last a little bit longer. So let's just pray that daddy's tantrum is over soon. And I really had to force myself to fake it in front of them at first. Honestly, it was just because I was in front of them, I wanted to make them believe that I forgave daddy and I was perfectly fine with it. And it, we're gonna be okay and everything is great. And I came up with this phrase, hey, it's for now, it's not forever. We're good. This is not who we are. This is just where we are at the moment. And eventually the more I said that to myself as an affirmation, the more I began to believe it. And the more I started looking and going, you know, why did he leave? 
he never dealt with the grief of his grandfather passing away and he's named after him we were in the lineage we were in you know he was he took over the business of his grandfather our son is named after his grandfather you know it's it was all these pieces to this puzzle that I wasn't looking at I was so busy focused on myself and I was being selfish and I was being judgmental that I couldn't even think to forgive him and so it was that question that day are we do we hate him that made me think what do I who do I want to be as a mom well and I can imagine that that's a struggle in and of itself right because as a mom I and I wasn't in that situation so so you know correct me if I'm wrong but like I would want to teach my kid hey this isn't a relationship like this isn't how it's supposed to go or this isn't you know how you're supposed to be treated and yet then on the other hand you don't want them to hate their dad he's going through some things he probably needs some support for that like how do you do that that's got to be such a an internal struggle for you as a mother it was it it was probably the hardest thing i'd ever been through in my life. um I'm not going to, hello, I lost you, I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's okay. My phone was like, what? Um, it was the hardest, it was the hardest struggle I've ever been through in my life. And like you said, it was an internal struggle. I had to, to balance, you know, I need to give them the truth, but not give them too much information because they're little. My kids, my first three are a year apart. So here they are, my oldest daughter's turning 11. So I have an almost 11, a nine, eight, and then six and four. And what do I want to project to them? And so I had to, it, it was a hard, it was a delicate balance, but I started thinking about the way I answered my daughter, my oldest daughter's question when she said, mommy, did I really come from your tummy? I had a C-section with her. So I was able to answer her, but not give her too much information. And that's what I had to start doing. I had to start saying, you know, daddy, daddy is hurting right now. He's so broken. I said, you know how sometimes when you fall and you scratch your knee and it's all bloody and we can't find a Band-Aid. I said, that's kind of what daddy's going through, but it's in his heart and we can't see it. So the Band-Aids don't fit. So we just have to wait until it gets all better. And my, you know, I think it was one of my sons. He said, well, when, I'm a, when I get a wife, am I allowed to love her? And it was like, these hard questions came out of just such a, a broken time when I was like, I don't even know what to say to you. I just want to go punch him in the face. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want to forgive him. I wanna, you're making my kids have to deal with things that they don't need to deal with at four or five, six years old. And I said, um, you know what? I said, you better because she's going to be my best friend and you better love her because she's going to come tell on you. And just, he's like, okay. And so he, you know, here he was, he's 14 now, but here he was just this little bitty kid. And I would hear, I would wake up and I would hear him going, God, help me find a wife that's going to be so nice. And I could be so nice to her. Okay. That's all. Amen. And he's 14 and he's still, he's like, he models, he, he's plays soccer. He's plays like eight or nine instruments, but he doesn't date. He's like, mom, I just want to wait until I find somebody that can just pour love into. And I thought, wow, had I not, sorry, had I not offered the forgiveness to him, they would have still been broken. Had I not offered the truth to them, there's no way they could have been who they're growing into. And they're not perfect, definitely not our kids. They're messy, just like our lives, they're, they're super messy. Um, I mean, three of them are teenagers, so whew, that's a whole nother, you know, that's a whole nother counseling session. <laughs> that's incredible though. And what a great, I mean, what a great success that you have such loving children that came, that, that went through that struggle with you because it could have gone the other way. I'm sure probably pretty easily, but, but you held that together and you supported them out of it and you know love them out of it and now look i mean what a sweet i get the chills from head to toe and practically you know i got the tissues just in case 
teared up myself thinking, wow, a 14 year old, like when a lot of 14 year olds are just worried about the sneakers they have, or, you know, what's coming up on Netflix or what their friends said on iChat or snap, whatever, you know what I mean? And, and this guy is actually thinking about future and, 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 and love and all of that. That's really incredible. I, I and asked- also you raised him to be a better man, right? Because even though he saw those struggles and I mean, when you were talking like these girls know my past, so you were making me tear up because a lot of things that you said hit home. And I had little ones too that are now older and teenagers, but when a three-year-old or a four-year-old asks you questions like that, like, and you're already in the middle of it, like you're already broken. So that just breaks you even more. Um, So I just can really relate, but I feel like it's, we have to commend you on the fact that you did turn it around in a positive way, right? It it, may have took some time to get to this point that you're at now, but your kids, you guys didn't use them as pawns. You know, you took a step back and swallowed whatever hurt you had to make sure that you were providing a positive environment for them. So that's why your son is the way that he is now. That and being able to not hate dad for whatever reasons, you know, they have to formulate their own opinions and kids are smart. There's no reason that we need to tell them any negative stuff about whoever in their life, you know? But I just wanted to commend you, Amy. Um, And then I did have a question for you. So, when we're talking about forgiveness and it's so hard on our end, um, what do you think that when we forgive somebody, how does that impact our offender? Like when you forgave him, what did that do to him? And does that even matter to us in our journey? So here's where kind of the nerd part of myself is gonna come in because according to quantum physics, when you begin to change your mind, your actual brain matter starts to change. So imagine, you know, those little thought bubbles that came in the comics a long time ago, those are actually scientific things. So when you think of something, whether it's a toxic thought or a regular thought or healthy thought, it's like a little thought bubble, like boom, pow, wow, you know, whatever. That's a thought. If you dwell on that thought for seven days, had I sat there and I said, I hate him, I hate him, I hate him, I can't stand him that thought then begins to grow. I think they're called neurons, but they look like little lollipops. And they're just these little tails that come off of it. And after you focus on it for another seven days and you dwell on it, it actually attaches to the the mind, your actual brain matter, it actually attaches and it creates a new reality. And so your brain says, hey, this hate, or this unforgiveness, this is your new reality. And that's what this person is going to be to you for the rest of your life. You're never gonna change. He's never gonna change, da, da, da. But when you begin to offer forgiveness to someone else, you're changing. That person may never change. That person may never, you may offer forgiveness all the way up to their deathbed and they still may be the same person But what you're doing is you're creating a new reality. You're creating a healthy reality for yourself, for your legacy, for the children that go on before you because, and I am a believer. So the Bible says the blessings of the Lord go on to fourth, um, fourth generations. The curses go on to fourth generations. The blessings go on to thousands of generations. And your DNA, that is physically true. Everyone's predisposed to something, but you don't have to act on something that you're predisposed to. So like my grandfather is an alcoholic. If I don't drink, I don't enact that. That's my predisposition. My real, my mom, my grandmother, all of that alcoholism runs in our family. I drank for an entire year when we were going through all that. My kids, part of the story, um, I got a really good job. We paid our rent six months in advance. We moved from where we were to Florida. I thought you've never seen the beach. The Indiana Dunes are not the beach. Let's go to Florida. My van breaks down there. We end up living two and a half years in Florida. 
And I said, okay, we've got to, we've got to do something. I got a really good job making great money, paid the rent six months in advance. And the company laid 600 people off. And I was one of them because I was the highest paid person in the company. And we went from being completely homeless. Well, take it back when we're with our dad, we had money. Then we went within 24 hours, completely homeless, back to having money and the kids not needing or wanting anything to being homeless again. So I had to make a decision and I reached out to his parents who live in Texas and they took them for one school year. And that was the hardest thing I'd ever done. And during that one year I traveled and I worked, um, but I'd started drinking and I drank so much for an entire year. And I would just drink to fall asleep because I didn't want to deal with the pain. And so it was affecting, and I was still holding on to the unforgiveness. And this is going to answer your question. I'm so sorry. Um, not to get right to it, but I was holding on to that unforgiveness so much that it started those things that were predisposed inside of me, triggering those things. And I started accepting, well, this is just my life. You know, we're just, I'm just predisposed to divorce. I'm just predisposed to drinking my life away. I'm just, I'm just, I might as well, you know, my mom always said this or that. Well, I might as well be that then. And I started to accept the lies that were already there to accept. But once I stopped accepting them, I literally drank a, a big pint. I don't even know what it's called now, a vodka. I drank the entire bottle. And I woke up three days later laying on the floor of my, of my house, of my condo. And I said, Amy, what are you doing? This is not who you are. This is, this is where you are. And I literally looked myself in the eyes and I said, new hobby, you're done with this. And it's been five years now, four or five years. I haven't drank since. Congratulations. <laughs> um, and, I, thank you. and I never did before. I just was so broken. I didn't know what else to do. And it's when he saw like their dad, he's back, you know, obviously he's back in the picture now. Um, when he, when the kids went to Texas, his parents said, look, these are your children. You're going to move to Texas. Or we're going to give them to this, to the child protective services. If neither one of you can take care of them. And he was so scared for that to happen. He actually came back and he started learning how to be a dad. And he started learning from his mom and dad who he didn't think loved him, who, you know, there was a whole host of issues there that I didn't even know about. So that healing started taking place because I allow the healing to start taking place to myself. So to answer your question, when you forgive somebody, it's almost as if you open the door for them to walk through and be healed and forgiven for whatever they need to. Now it's their choice to walk through it, but your forgiveness at least opens the door for them. So they have that choice. I love that. And what a great presentation of that thought. I love how you circled back to it too and gave some, you know, personal example in there. I'm, I'm curious about how it went when, you know, the first time and the second time around when you were living in the van with the kids and they were probably school-aged, right? So they were going to school and how, how did that go for them? And, and how did you help them support them through that? That was a little bit more challenging. Um, like I said, my kids were, you know, they, they excel. They really do. My oldest daughter is about to be 17 next week. She graduated high school four days after she turned 16. She's just brilliant. My youngest son started first grade at four. And it's not really that they're brilliant. Let me take that back. When their dad and I was married, we would sit down with them and he would say, there's no such thing as ADD. It's attention dad disorder. And he would sit down with them and just he would be working on his computer, on his stuff for actual work. And they would be doing their homework and just sitting beside him 15 minutes a day. And even the youngest who couldn't go to school, she would say, Daddy, I do homework. And he'd say, okay, color the pumpkin orange, find the pumpkin. And she'd say, yay, I do homework. And so they just, they thrived in that environment. And so that's where they felt safe. That's where they felt like everything was still together. And I would just tell them, you are so privileged. How amazing is this? You get to do your home homework at the park. And as soon as you're done, you have to sit at this table and eat your snack and eat your little picnic lunch. And as soon as you're done, you get to go play on the playground. I said, you know how much God loves you? 
he's letting you go car camping you get to watch dvds until you fall asleep mommy drives around and we get to look at all kinds of cool stuff and find alligators because we were in florida i said we can find all kinds of stuff you do your homework and as soon as it gets dark we're like Amish, we get to go to sleep. How awesome. And then we wake up to the sunshine. You are some of the most privileged kids in the whole world. And we started this game, it's called I Am Grateful. And I would say, all right, one, I am grateful for the sun. They'd be like, mom, I don't wanna do this game. And I said, nope, who's next? Two. And then they'd say, okay, I'm grateful for mom's son too. You know, like they would just start making up stuff and we couldn't stop playing the game until we got to a hundred. And if somebody complained, we started all the way back over at one. And so by the time they got to a hundred, they were like, God, I'm so grateful that I get to go to school and I get to learn and, and that you've given me a mom and a dad, even though we don't know where he is, you know, they were just, they learned to start being grateful. And so that transition of them being in school the teacher said by the end of the year, they said, we didn't even know. We had no clue. The office knew, the office staff, some of the secretaries, the uh, student counselor, um, they had elementary counselors. She knew um, that was a whole nother story. She, my, my youngest daughter was in kindergarten, had already went started into kindergarten. And she told me, she said, you know, I can't let you come read to the class. All the parents got to come read. She said, I can't let you come read to the classroom because of your economic status. I don't think you're qualified to be reading to other people's children. And it broke my heart because when my husband and I were married, I was a children's pastor. I was a children's missionary for 25 years. So she not only attacked who I was, she attacked everything that I felt like God had called me to. And so here I was again, having to forgive somebody that I didn't want to forgive. And I had to do it. You know, at first I was like, okay, I'm gonna forgive her because my kids go to school there. But as soon as they're out of elementary school, I'm gonna have words to this woman. And it, it was so hard. And I finally just said, you know, it's not worth it. I'm just gonna forgive her because she really doesn't know. People who don't know your situation, it's so easy for people to judge. Like it would have been so easy for me to judge my ex-husband and say, well, he just left us because he's a jerk. Or, you know, we have to live like this because of this. I didn't realize he was going through something. You know, this woman, she was single. She was in her 60s or 70s, never been married, never had kids. And she's counseling little kids. She had no clue. But the day we got our first house, our first apartment, she called me. She said, Mom, there's an opening for you to come read to the kindergarten class. And I had two choices. I could have said, screw you. Or I could have said, you know what, let me go and do what I do best. And I took all my clown gear. I became the best storyteller that that school had ever seen to where parents were actually wanting to hire me for their birthday parties. And she was that's like, phenomenal. That's what she was like, you are amazing. And the parents love you. And it was a very well to do. We lived in a very, um, we lived, I should say we lived, we lived in the parking lot of a very well-to-do school. But I found out that federal law says that whatever school your kids start in, if you become homeless, they still get to stay there. So they got to stay. And I fought it and I learned the law and I, and, and that's, the, that's the key, I think, to the success of, of who you are as a mom keep learning don't ever stop learning just keep learning because it's not just for you it's for your kids and so they they just stayed in school and they kept excelling and you know they struggled of course they had to go to the counselor a lot and you know they would cry my son the 14 year old he would run away he would start taking his clothes off and just run away and I, I don't even know why he even to this day he's like I have no idea I was a dumb little kid why was I taking my clothes off running out of the school I'm like I don't know you're a boy boys do weird things the girls never did that <laughs> only the boys my boys just when they were little just loved to not be dressed and the girls were the exact opposite and it's still like that the boys are just like hey shirts off you know <laughs> but uh yeah, so they just, you know, it was a struggle, but I made it fun for them. And we just started learning. We can, we have two choices. We can either be grateful and we can get it done or we can be bitter and we can just be a disaster like everyone else around us. 
and you get to choose. And it's hard because like you said, one of you said, you want to do everything for them. You want to make all the decisions for them. You want to tell them, no, no, you're not going to be sad. You can't do that. You have to smile, smile. It's okay. Everything's okay. But they're not always okay. And you have to know that and you have to understand that. I didn't. I honestly, my daughter is nine. And she told me the other day, she said something that hurt her feelings. And I said, well, you're going to be okay. She said, well, mom, sometimes people aren't okay. And I was like, wow. Um, I said, all right, well, then let's talk about it. And then she just burst into tears and told me everything that happened. And, and I thought, wow, you know, I don't want to create that either. I don't want to create this atmosphere of everything's fine. So now our rule in our house is it's not okay what you did, but I forgive you. And then that way it balances it out. Well, and that's just teaching them so much. I mean, if I ran into, you know, if every kid I ran into did the whole gratitude thing and was grateful for, you know, everything in their lives and, and, you know, all that positivity. Wow. I feel like this world would be a better place. I mean, I said kids, but I guess I meant just the general population, you know, adults also how incredible that you're instilling this value into them early on, because that is, as you probably are well aware, is just going to eliminate so much crap that they have to deal with when they're growing up. You know what I mean? Like they're just eliminating all of that. Everybody else is going to be stuck in that crap and they're not. And I think that that's a hundred percent phenomenal. Um, and it's, and it's cool, um, how you sort of played the car camping thing. I mean, how brilliant is that? But, uh, did, did they have any struggles with friends and things, or were they able to, um, maintain friendships and be like, Hey, I'm cooler than you or not necessarily like that comparing themselves to others, but Hey, I'm cool too, because we car camp. Yeah. Um, that was a little bit harder in having five children. They're all different. I had one daughter who was like, mom, just pretend like you don't know me because the, again, the neighborhood we lived in, the moms were picking their kids up in, um, you know, chrome-plated uh, BMW golf carts. And we weren't like that. We lived in John Cena's neighborhood at one point. So we didn't have that same bracket. And some of my kids were very, like, panic-stricken. I had two of, two of them, actually, who were, they were just so, um, but mom, you know, we need, we need to have this. We used to have this. And these kids have this and I had that five years ago or I had this when I was little and how come I don't have this anymore how come you had to give this away or how come you know and so they're each child was different the two little ones didn't really understand that lifestyle that we had when I was married to their dad because they were so little when he left and so they didn't understand they all they knew was the struggle and so now that we're in a place where it's not as much of a struggle they're like, mom, are we rich? <laughs> you know, and I don't want to be like, no, we're just able to pay bills on time now. Like, <laughs> It's really different. You get a haircut this time from a real person, not from your mom, you know, but the big kids, um, and I say the big kids, the teenagers, they knew what it was like to have that luxury and have it stripped away. And so for them, it was a lot harder to maintain their friendships because they always felt like they had to compare and compete. And I think as women, as moms, as humans, those are the two biggest lies is to compare and compete. And so I, I try so hard. I came up with this thing for, for the girls at first, but I think for all of them, now even the boys, I tell the boys this, I said, you're not trophies, you're treasures. Trophies sit on the shelf. And when someone wants to parade you around or talk about you and knock the dust off of you for a minute, you know, and then, guess what? They come a dime a dozen. You can go to a trophy shop and get one made. I said, but a treasure, you have to seek after it. You have to look for it. And when you find it, you hold it precious. You don't let anybody look at it or touch it. You shine it up. You keep it with you. You keep it safe. I said, I want you to learn in your life, whether the boys, when you get wives and the girls, you become this, you are a treasure, not a trophy, because you're worth so much more than just everybody else. You're worth so much more than everything you see around you. And it, it's been, it's been a struggle. I still have two of the kids actually live with their dad now. And that was 
the hardest moment of my life. This is the second school year that they're living with their dad. And um, sorry, <laughs> to go from being just a mom, that's all I, that's all I did. I worked for my husband. So I was just their mom and I got to work for daddy. And, you know, we did background acting in Chicago. And so I was always with them and we did everything on set together. We, we filmed together. We did everything together. And then for two of them, just to say, you know what? And the 14 year old son, the same son, who was amazing, also hurts my feelings, probably the most out of all the kids. He said, mom, I just don't want to be poor anymore. So I'm going to live with dad. And my daughter said, mom, I love you. She said, but I don't want to be homeless again. And you've already made us homeless twice. And I don't want to be like, I didn't make us anything, you know? I had to just refrain from that and just say, you know what, sweetie, if this is what you feel is best for your life, and daddy's okay with it, then I'm okay with it because I want what's best for you. And it was hard. It was hard. And I cry all the time to not have all five of them together. Or when we Zoom each other or we're playing board games here and they're not here. And it's just really hard sometimes. But sorry, I didn't. I told myself not to cry. <laughs> no, of course. I mean, your your story is so heartfelt. You really tell it from the heart. And I mean, we can feel it. I can feel it. So now, so fast forward, you said that was about five years ago was the last time, right? So take us through that portion. So the second time that you were car camping, what happened after that? Yes. Yeah, so big name company and it was fantastic money I mean more money than I'd ever dreamed of ever making and it was very simple I speak multiple languages so it was just easy for me to go in and and do this and probably seven months into it I mean one check would pay my rent for the month and then the other checks were just fun you know, and just do whatever you want with them and got paid once a week. It was great. And I paid my rent six months ahead. And then at the seventh month of having that job, um, we, I lost the job. So the rent was paid. So we had that six months. I worked seven months. So we had another, like, I don't know how it worked out, but we had three months on top of that. So we got to stay in our uh, condo for about a total of nine months total. And then here we are facing homelessness again. And we had a family member who was a traveling car salesman and he and his wife, that's what they did for a living. And they said, look, you make great money. You're on the road a lot. It's not conducive for children, but what else are you gonna do? You know, you can, you can come, it's a 25% commission. We're moving city every um, five to 10 days, you're moving to a new city, a new state what what can you do and I reached out to them and I said are you able to take them at least just for one school year just so I can do this and I can make some money and I had to make that choice again and granted I was traveling I was I chose to drive it and fly I put about 300,000 miles on my van in one year because it was just driving and I would constantly go see them and it was when, um, let's see, when was that? When that big hurricane happened in Texas, I think it was Hurricane Harvey maybe. I think that's when it was. So all I knew is that they were, they were in San Antonio or right outside, they were getting tornadoes. And then the church shooting happened, which was their backyard basically. They could see the church from their backyard. And I saw it on the news and I didn't know where my kids were. And my son, the same 14 year old had been invited to that church that day. And he was gonna spend the night with a friend and go. And he got in trouble, he got grounded and he couldn't go. So I'm 2000 miles away from them. I had no idea where they were. Come to find out their dad had found another church two cities away and just decided at the random to take them. And after that, I was determined. I said, I need to get out of this industry. I need to just settle down and figure it out. And I um, 
accepted a job with the Red Cross. The second um, husband, he got thrown in the mix somehow during that time. He um, had already disappeared. I was gonna work for the Red Cross as a translator and I couldn't fulfill that job. I couldn't fly out of the country. So I was sitting at the San Antonio airport for six hours saying, God, I don't know what to do. I don't have my kids. I have nowhere to live. I gave my van to their dad so he can have it to, to take them wherever they needed to go while I was gonna be out of the country to make a better life for them, to come back with all this money, I had all these plans. And I'm realizing now, even now, my plans are just not what, they're not always gonna be perfect. Like my original plan was to be married and be a wife and be a mother for the rest of my life. The end. It's not that cookie cutter simple. And so we, um, they were in Texas for that eight months. I was sitting at the airport in San Antonio and I, I called my mom and my mom and I were estranged. We didn't talk. She's here in Arizona. She'd been here for about 18 years. And I poured my heart out to her and I said, look, I, I don't know what to do. She said, I didn't ask you to get married and I didn't ask you to do the worst. I, I don't know what you're gonna do. You'll just come here and be homeless. And I said, mom, I have no one, I have nothing. She's like, well, whose fault is that? And I said, okay, I'll take the blame, but I just, I just need to get my passport fixed because one of the flight attendants said Tucson was the only place to fix it. I knew nothing about Arizona. I literally thought Tucson and Scottsdale were right next to each other. I was like, well, my mom lives in Scottsdale. And she, the flight attendant said, okay, well, that's close. I said, all right, let me call my mom. Let me, you know, it was going to take six weeks to get the passport fixed. Then I was going to be out of there. I was going to move to Mexico. I was going to work for the Red Cross. I was going to, you know, get everything that I needed to do. And lo and behold, I moved here. And she's like, well, if you're going to be here six weeks, you need to get a job. I said, mom, I don't want to get a job. And you have to come to church with me. It's not, a, it's not an option. And I go to church with her. And lo and behold, they're talking about struggling and they're talking about running from your problems instead of running to the answer. And it was a book we had to read. And I was like, I don't want to read this book. And I love reading. I was like, I don't want to read this book, but it was for her women's ministry. And, and they asked you questions on the spot. And if you're new, you definitely got asked a lot of questions. So I was like, all right. So I just started reading it. And finally I just said, I just want my kids. I just want to be stable. I want to stay here. And she's like, well, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know. I just want my kids back. And I moved here in January of that year and talked to their dad. And when school got out, they came and joined me in June. And they've been with me ever since, except for the two who wanted to move to California with their dad. It's fine. I'm still trying to get used to that, but yay. <laughs> well, at least it's California, so it's not super far. So that's good. Right. Yeah, it's definitely not Texas anymore. It's definitely a five-hour drive. I'm actually, we're leaving on Friday. Um, we're going to go get them. My little one turns 10 and the big one turns 17 three days later. So oh. we're going to um, drive into Newport Beach and then go over to Catalina Island for their birthday. So I'm excited about it. So we'll all be together. So vacations and things like that, we, I make it work for them and they know that no matter what happens, I make it work. I'm a mom. That's what we do. We make it work. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh, Amy, your story is so heartfelt and there's so many just lessons in there for, for everyone. I feel like, I mean, what do you guys think ladies? I mean, not judging people, understanding they're going through what they're going through, um, forgiveness, um, you know, gr gratitude, big giant, like let's teach our kids gratitude. Right. What do you guys think? You know, it's, this has really touched me. You and I have so much in common. Um, I also have five kids. Um, my family and I are really big on the gratitude thing. We sit down every night at dinner and we go around the table and we have to list three things, actually like five things that we're grateful for. And, and it's the kids, the, my youngest who is seven, it's her who remembers, oh, we haven't done our gratitude yet. Let's go around the table and she starts it. So this has become her little habit that she has started doing. Um, and just your determination to rise above all of the hard times that have come your way 
I'm just blown away. Um, and I'm fighting back the tears just right now because you are so strong and you have shown your kids how to overcome difficult times and rise above, you know, yes, you, you hit a rocky road and you started drinking, but you chose to quit on your own. You, you chose to be better. You chose to live a better life and, and keep going and moving forward. And it's so admirable. Um, I have so much respect for you. It's been a really touching story. Even just the way that you spin things, Amy, like it, it blows my mind, right? Like the car camping or what you turn something that could be a negative that you could have dwelled on. And, you know, like you said, blamed your ex-husband for putting you in that position, but you made it fun or with teaching or with going to the school and reading, you made it fun. You were, you just decided, Hey, I'm not going to go in there miserable. I'm not going to go in there upset. I'm going to go in there as the best dang clown ever. And everyone's going to love me. So I just love that. And I wish that that came more natural to everybody. Um, but maybe it doesn't need to be a natural thing. Maybe we just need to work on it more. So I love that. Thank you. Well, I, I wrote this down because I didn't want to get it wrong. This is something I tell myself all the time. And, and I have to talk to myself. I think that's the most important thing. We can live with those toxic thoughts in our mind. But I noticed this, if you, and I've heard it said before, if you are thinking some toxic thoughts in your head, try to say your ABCs out loud. You can't think and speak at the same time. So instead, if you have that toxic thought in your head, speak something positive out of your mouth. And eventually those toxic thoughts, those little bubbles have to burst. It's just like, you know, they're just like, boop, and you can replace it with those healthy things that you're speaking out of your mouth and you're affirming yourself and the good things. And so I write them down because I'm not always gonna remember. You know, there are days, and I have affirmations for different avenues of my life, different things that I go through, but this is my newest one that I've, I've had to tell myself um, daily. And it says, Amy, give yourself permission to hurt, but don't give, your, don't give yourself an excuse to hurt others. So give yourself permission to hurt, but don't give yourself an excuse to hurt others. And I think that's when we start becoming toxic and unforgiving and holding on to that because it's really just, it's killing us. It really is just killing us and it's killing our legacy. You know, I don't want my kids to grow up bitter and broken because that's where I was headed had I not forgiven, you know, and it, it, the time does not allow me to tell you growing up in the South, being the only, you know, light-skinned person at an all-light-skinned school that had Black friends. How I had my hair set on fire, rocks thrown at me, rolled down a flight of bleachers, wrapped in a rebel flag, and the principal told my mom, well, they're good old boys, that's just what happens. Punched in the face, shoved, thrown off the bus. The bus driver left me in the woods. <laughs> she just dropped me off. She said, you know, I can't. She said, if you're going to have people of color in your life, I, I can't let you on this bus. And she literally dropped me off. I had to be like 10 and we didn't have a car. My mom didn't know how to drive. My mom didn't drive until she was 30. So she was in her young twenties and she walked the four miles to come and get me. And she walked up to the school the next day with me. And that's just how it was. But here's the thing, when you forgive people, I wanna say eight out of the 10 people that bullied me the most in that school are now very dear friends of mine on Facebook who have family members, who have lives beyond their understanding, things that they didn't know. And so many times I'll get random emails from people I don't even really remember in elementary and grade school and high school going, Hey, remember when I was mean to you and I did this to you? Um, I just want you to know that I was thinking about that the other day and that's what made me turn my life around. I said, okay, that's awesome. If you need anything, let me know. You know what I'm doing? I gotta look at a yearbook. I don't remember them being mean to me. Were they, were they part of the bullying group? I don't remember. Because when you live a life that says, hey, you're forgiven before you even offend me, then it's a lot harder for somebody to offend you. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Give, your, give yourself permission to hurt. 
I mean, I, I made the mistake of saying, it's okay, I'm good. All the time, everything was fine, everything was good. I was raised in church, oh, it's fine, don't worry about that. You wanna slap me in the face? It's okay. It's not okay, but I forgive you. Give yourself permission to hurt, but don't give yourself an excuse to hurt others. Well, and that is just so calming and peaceful, right? It's like, hey, I can be calm and peaceful inside myself. I don't have to create more chaos. I don't have to create more reasons for me to not feel calm and peaceful. Yeah. I love that. Amy, it's been, I mean, I think you got us all today. Um, what a pleasure. What, what an incredible story. What a journey. What an inspiration. Thank you so much for being on with us today. Really, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you letting me just speak. I, I literally have a notebook full of notes that I probably used maybe four. <laughs> <laughs> Us too. And that's what I love about this show is that we just kind of free flow. You know, we have, we usually will come up with some questions between the three of us just to make sure we have a little something to keep the conversation going if needed. Um, but I didn't look at them once. I don't know about you ladies, but I didn't need my notes at all. So thank you so much for, for really being open and and honest and really you know eager to share it's just been a really cool last couple of weeks communicating with you to prepare for the show and i appreciate you so so much um and hopefully we can have you back on again because what an inspiration uh ladies what do we want everybody else to do definitely um follow us on itunes or google play i remembered it jenny um and then also download and um, subscribe. If you don't like us yet, keep watching and leave us a five when you love us. <laughs> yes, please. And Rory wants you to do that too. Rory is like, yes, I feel passionate about what my mom is saying right now. <laughs> yes. So definitely please like, subscribe, follow, download the episodes like Sherry said. So that way we can get a little bit of Google credit for it or iTunes credit for it. And then other people will be able to see our show uh, a lot more easily because it will naturally get pushed out there. And we, we just really want to connect with women all over the country, all over the world. And um, because it's just so important that we support each other and, and share our stories. All right, guys, until next time. See you later, Bye. guys. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Amy. Moms with aspiration. Moms are inspirations. Moms in circulation. Moms at their workstations. Bump, 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 bump. They make a nation. Bump, this is a mom nation.